And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Thursday, February 15th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. We are one day away from our first Friday live stream of the season, in case you missed our last episode. Trevor May joining us all season long on Fridays throughout the year, and we're going live on YouTube at 1 o'clock Eastern each and every week on Friday. So we're really excited about that, and there's like some very player-specific news that's starting to break. It happens every single year. You find out pitchers have been dealing with some kind of soreness or some kind of new ailment throughout the offseason. Timetables are thrown off. And we're just left to panic. We don't know what's going to happen. It's chaos. And I just want to dig into that with Trevor on Friday's show. But the news that really surprised everybody on Thursday, something we'll touch on a little bit here to start today's show before we get to some team previews. We have the Dodgers, the Reds, and the Pirates all on tap for today. Now, Kyle Bradish has a UCL sprain. He is going to begin the season on the IL, this was one of a few Orioles injuries reported on Thursday by Jake Rill. He covers the Orioles for MLB.com. This is not great for a bunch of reasons. We know pitchers sometimes can deal with tears in their UCL and be fine for a long time. Mike Elias, the GM of the Orioles, was unwilling to put a timetable on when he thinks Bradish is going to be game ready again. So this sounds like it's going to be more than a little while before Bradish is back in the rotation for the Orioles. It's kind of wild speculation season right now with a timetable like this. This is a pretty big blow for an Orioles team that just went out and added Corbin Burns a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he's going to drop big time in my rankings. A sprain is a tear. That's a tear. And so, you know, yes, there are pitchers that have, uh, that have pitched for a while even with a UCL sprain uh, with a small tear in their UCL like Masahiro Tanaka. Hmm. Uh, pitched a few years. Uh, there are others that have pitched a little bit and then succumbed to Tommy John surgery. I believe Garrett Richards and there was like a couple angels in a row. Maybe was there was that Haney? I don't know. There's a couple angels in a row that got PRP, uh, you know, injections just like Bradish did in order to try and avoid it, um, and still ended up having Tommy John. This is a precursor to Tommy John. This is. Basically, what is repaired by Tommy John surgery. Uh, so it's just a question of magnitudes and whether he can pitch through the pain. Um, yeah, I don't even know where to rank somebody like this. I think that his number of innings projected uh, drops to like the over under is 100. It's at least two thirds of the original projection, maybe even half, because you. You don't know what's going to happen if he does start pitching this year. Is he going to tear it more and end up having to undergo Tommy John? I think the one thing I've wondered about for a while is, has there been progress in 
the platelet-rich plasma path, the rest and going that route and trying to avoid surgery? Is it still frequently the surgery delayed rather than the surgery avoided, right? That's what you're hoping to do is just avoid it completely. But a lot of times it just feels like you're pushing it back to some point in the future. I'm not aware of anything like that. The most recent advancement is the internal brace surgery, which becomes an option if it's not like a complete tear. I believe if it's a uh, less uh, complete tear, then you can just put the brace on there and then it's a six month timeline. But that doesn't really help anybody for this year. It's just um, makes it more likely that they can do the PRP, give them a chance still get the internal brace and maybe get, you know, two thirds, three quarters of a season from him next year if he misses all of this year. So I bet that's the quote unquote timeline, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, um, the only thing I'd, the thing I'd be hoping for is for him to try and get on a mound in spring, hopefully before your draft, if you're talking fantasy wise, but also for the Orioles, try to get on the mound in spring just to see, Hey, is this gonna is this gonna happen? You know, is this is this gonna work? Uh, do we need to go trade for Dylan Cease? Do we need to, you know, do we need to do more? Uh, one player whose stock goes up a little bit with this is Tyler Wells. Tyler Wells is the sixth starter, but he's a little bit too useful in the bullpen uh, to kind of go down, even though he has options. So um, I think. You know, there's a real toggle for Tyler Wells for his entire future career that's happening right now, which is if he goes to the bullpen, he'll he'll be one of the final four relievers. Cole Irvin doesn't have options. He's going to make the team as the long man six starter, um, most likely because he doesn't have options. But you know, his his fate is cast. Like he's, you know, I don't think he's. Like there's a big toggle. It's he's a, he's a useful arm. He's a guy who's going to bounce around. Uh, that's how I see it. But um, Tyler Wells could either become a late inning reliever or a, a back end starter, and it, this might be the moment that it happens. Right. And I think what complicates things right now is that we also learned on Thursday that John Means is about a month behind the Orioles' other starters because of some elbow flare ups he was dealing with during the postseason. So if you don't have Means available even for a few weeks to begin the year, you got two spots to fill until at least one of those guys between Bradish and Means can come back. And you were going through some of the options. I think they have to throw Tyler Wells in the rotation as one of the yeah. two solutions. It's just this, even if it's a temporary thing, the quality of the innings they got from him in the first half of last season were so good. You figure the rest out later. If you don't go out and spend money on Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery, if you don't go make the trade for Dylan Cease or some other starter, you can try to do that later if you think you can bridge the gap with Wells. And if you only have to fill really one spot, let's count Wells as in, then you can get by with a cheap free agent signing like a Jake Odorizzi if you want to go that route. Or you just use Irvin until Means is back. You could use Irvin. Uh, Jonathan Heasley's a guy they acquired from the Royals back in the early part of the oh, offseason. I forgot about that. We like his slider. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's something they could do with Heasley now at the beginning of the season, give him an opportunity just to try and give them some bulk. It's not great because it, it's a it's a huge wet blanket over what should be an exciting spring for a team that's on the rise right now. And I wish I could say that it's just pitching injuries, but we learned that Gunnar Henderson has an oblique 
aggravation. Right now, they're saying it's just going to be a problem for him for Grapefruit, uh, Grapefruit League games, not necessarily something that'll cost him time when the regular season begins, but that's worth watching. Their top, uh, One of their top prospects, Samuel Bisayo, has a stress reaction in his right elbow, so he's catching but unable to throw. He's probably not going to catch until late April now. The news is going to be bad. Like, the next week is bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, this is where every... Oh, and I had surgery. You, 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 what? <laughs> mm-hmm. Justin Verlander's like, oh, you know, my shoulder hurts. And, uh, you know, I'm a little behind. You know, oh, what, but, uh, your what hurts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, it's not good news. I, I You got to... There's a little bit of like, don't overreact. I mean, I will maybe move Verlander down a little bit with this injury news. He's says he's only a couple, you know, weeks behind or, you know, he's, but he has thrown some bullpen sessions. Uh, I think back on the fact that one executive told me that, that when he got inside the game, when he started working for a team, the first thing he learned was that every pitcher is hurt all the time and it's just a question of degrees. Um, and so maybe it's not too surprising that everyone, you know, shows up, throws the first pen and is like, Oh God. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited to hear what Trevor May has to say about some of this in terms of, uh, timing and, and what the off season, what the transition from off season to season is like, because, uh, from the outside looking, it looks uh, still like a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit more, uh, rocky than you might expect. You'd, you'd expect these are, you know multi-million dollar organizations and they've got plans for their pitchers in the off seasons and they're you know <laughs> and there's this little bit of an element of like oh uh, i haven't pitched in a while <laughs> yeah i expect some things we think to be debunked uh regularly on fridays and i don't think we're gonna waste any time getting to that on the uh, <laughs> the arrival of trevor on friday so looking forward to that episode be sure to check it out one o'clock eastern if you can join us live we'd love to have you there in the chat keeping us some company along the way Let's go to our position previews. Let's go to good things. Let's go to things that make people happy. Let's start with the Let's Dodgers. Upbeat things. Yeah, the Dodgers, they're good. The Dodgers make some people happy. They make a lot of people mad. <laughs> but they, make, they make some people really happy. The rundown for this one is just so ridiculous. I, I kind of just do a little hitter snapshot, pitcher snapshot, and then the Pakoda projection, and we kind of fill in the details of what we think is most interesting for a particular team. And it's like, well, they added Shohei Otani and... Teoscar Hernandez. That's all they did. And oh, and then, then the pitching side, they added Glass now and Yamamoto and James Paxton, and they're going to get Walker Bueller back, and they've got prospects coming. You know, just the typical offseason that teams have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if if you read a report card uh, for the offseason moves that doesn't give the Dodgers an A, then I don't, I don't know what more could one do. I guess they could have signed Josh Hader as well or something. Yeah. There you go. There's your thing. There's there's your thing. That's just you want to be You're mad the as a Dodgers fan. Oh, well, we should add to the bullpen. Guess yeah. Yeah, you could have. Might not matter. You could do that at the trade deadline if you want. Probably still gonna be pretty good. Uh, but let's start on the hitting side, as we always tend to do. And these are the key hitters for this team. It's most of the regulars and, and a couple of the key backups you're gonna see. I think this is an absurd group of talent <laughs> yet again because. Many teams would have added Teoscar Hernandez and said, hey, we added a guy that might go 30-10 to the middle third of our lineup. Well, that got completely overshadowed by everything else the Dodgers did. So the big question I have with Teoscar Hernandez, you think about a team that has this much depth, if they choose their spots to give him some days off, give him the occasional tough matchup where he gets uh, some rest, whatever it might be, like, 
does he lose so much playing time that he takes a slight hit in value compared to past seasons? Or does the quality of the talent around him just completely erase that? I think that's what I keep kind of going back and forth with. And what I've seen over the course of draft season is that Teoscar Hernandez continues to become a more expensive outfielder. He's kind of a outfielder three for a lot of people in that pick 100 to 125 range because he ticks a lot of boxes and it always looks good from a stat cast perspective as well. Well, you know, Otani's going to get some days off and, you know, Otani's, you know, there's an injury component there. And so, you know, there's a similar question is like, how much will Otani's days off ding him? Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, even with a 607 plate appearance projection, which is modest compared to Freddie Freeman, it's 71 fewer plate appearances, still 108 runs projected, 105 RBI projected. This is going to be a Rock'em Sock'em lineup. And I think they might have the best second baseman in baseball, the best first baseman in baseball, the best DH in baseball, the best catcher in baseball. I mean, that's pretty... <laughs> That's pretty nasty. That's that's four bests before you get to Teoscar. So uh, in terms of runs on RBI, I'm not too worried. Uh, as a right-hander, I just, I think that's it's an awkward uh, situation. You're not going to platoon him, really. Um, 566 plate appearance projection seems, seems light. I think they're going to have to mix and match pretty heavily when it comes to Max Muncy at third for defensive reasons as well as platoon reasons. James Altman may never see a lefty. Um, you know, Gavin Lux, I think it'll be kind of like an injury management type situation. Also, I was thinking about making a, a, a card for this, but when I was looking at his, uh, Gavin Lux's outs above average, something really interesting happened. So 2019, plus one uh, run value by outs above average. 2020, plus one run value. 2021, minus three. 2022, plus one. Guess which year he played the most shortstop. Hmm. Yeah. The good one. <laughs> the, the minus three, silly. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I think with a, a competent uh, uh, veteran like Miguel Rojas on the team, you may see some defensive replacement for Gavin Lux. So if you're going around the horn, I feel like second and third and center and right with Jason Hayward, those are the four positions that they are going to platoon and mix and match and uh, and and play some shenanigans. If they do shenanigans in four, in four places, uh, that's pretty much your build a bench. We had to clarify a little bit on build a bench uh we are in our heads most of the time putting a starter at dh and so that's why we have four you've got otani at dh here so the build a bench is chris taylor manny margot and miguel rojas and austin barnes pretty easy to do i think build a bench um <laughs> it, it fits to so many different jingles i i think yeah you you kind of look at the platoon partners that they could use I mean, Taylor has the big contract. He's going to be there. He has to be really bad to get booted off the roster. Margot, who they acquired in the Tyler Glass now trade, he's going to play a decent bit too. The Miguel Vargas role is sort of like the open question. He's working out more in left field this spring, so it's kind of more of a let's use him out there as opposed to jamming him into the infield mix. But Taylor's not a shortstop anymore, right? Not really, no. 
but that's but that's why they have Rojas. Rojas is the backup shortstop. So Taylor platoons with Muncie at third and gives people breaks at second and right and left. Second. Platoon with Hayward? I think James Outman plays more against lefties because of being unable to platoon everyone. Like someone someone out of Muncie or Outman is going to get a chance against some lefties. It's probably going to depend on who's and, healthy. And Hayward, I guess. Yeah, that one. But I think, Hayward has a, a, more, a longer established track record. Yeah, I think, I think they're much less likely to give Hayward any looks against lefties. All right, so Outman or Muncie... Uh, I hesitate to like actually look at demonstrated splits. It's they're so noisy and it takes such a long time. But you know, uh, we've got 864 plate appearances from Max Muncy against lefties. That's fairly good. 120 WRC plus. So maybe Taylor is the backup center fielder more than anything. He's the platoon center fielder and the backup infielder. Yeah, I keep looking at Muncie and thinking that's a great source of cheap power in the middle rounds. After pick 150, you're getting a guy in a great lineup. Yes, there's a batting average downside, but the power is real. The run production should be good. Third base gets a little funky if you wait too long. So I think it could be a little bit of a, a port in a storm for you if you're looking for some help uh, in that range. Throttle your batting average. Well, yeah, as long as you've built up enough foundation, you can get away with that. Uh, any other position players in this group that you think might be a little undervalued? I think generally Dodgers go for full freight and for good reason. I mean, three first rounders on this team, which is remarkable. I think the the one that's that you know I I paused a second before I said Will Smith is the best catcher in baseball, but he's not going as the best catcher in baseball. No, and perhaps that's because they they won't play him more than five hundred and fifty, you know, plate appearances, which is sort of five hundred and eighty was the high watermark in 2022 but i tend to think he's a little underdrafted actually i think you know it's a good batting average it's good power it's going to be really good runs in rbi and you know maybe they play him a little bit more i don't know i even when they do play him i think he's really good i would take him see sometimes the real life analysis blends with the fantasy because if you were asking me who I would want as a young catcher in the as a who I would want if I was building a team in the big leagues, I'd say Will Smith. Wouldn't wouldn't you? I think Will Smith as a hitter is just he's he's so consistent, so solid, so yeah. solid, does everything. Yeah, and man, like you just you look at the long term track record here, where it's a one year blip where the barrel rate dipped down under ten percent. Otherwise, for his career, he's pretty consistently in the 10 to 12% range year after year after year. Low K rates, good walk rates, just everything you want in a quality hitter at a position that has more depth than usual. But I actually think it's worth it for to pay the premium for Will Smith this year. I think you're you're right. He's slightly underdrafted. For sure. Yeah, one catcher leagues, you don't necessarily have to do it. Two catcher leagues, I think he makes a lot of sense in that range. Who's your would you rather between Outman and Lux? Would you rather like pay up around pick 200 for Outman or wait a little bit and have Lux and get a little extra position flexibility? Either way, I want daily leagues. <laughs> I, I think these are going to be tough ones in weekly leagues. I think they're going to lose uh, a lot of playing time. Um, I think I'd actually pay up for Outman. Okay. He hits the ball hard. Lux doesn't or hasn't really shown that yet. 
Um, we have to admit that shortstop uh, is an open question mark for Lux, whereas Outman has demonstrated his defensive ability in center field. Uh, so you both they're both flawed hitters. One's a better defender. You know, I, how many is bags is Lux going to steal? You know, I, I have a feeling that the shortstop is something that bothers the people that run the Dodgers. Well, I'm glad something makes them a little uncomfortable because <laughs> most things you look at, you say, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah. That's great. Uh, and that's the case with the pitching, right? You look at it now, the additions of, of Glasnow and Yamamoto to a group that had Bobby Miller come up and, and look really good for stretches last year. Get Walker Bueller back from his second Tommy John eventually. They're in much better shape in this rotation. That was part of the problem at the end of last season, right? They just kind of ran out of quality innings in this group, and that's just not something we've really grown accustomed to. I think the feelings I have for both Glasnow and Yamamoto are well known to listeners on this podcast. I like both of these guys. I think they can both turn in SP1 type performances, and I think there's a chance that the market is under projecting innings for both given that we haven't seen Yamamoto pitch in the States yet. And we've seen Glassnell battle a lot of injuries in recent years. Yeah. I've, I just had a, a, a really quick little video. It's um, not a big deal, but it, it does relate to the only two. The only questions I have about Yamamoto are spin and breaking ball. So this is his curveball, And then watch this release. It's called the Ginza grip. And basically, he's got the thumb behind the ball and his fingers in front of the ball and he's releasing it like, um, what is this movement? Give me a thumbs up and then put your fingers out and then pretend there's a ball in there and you're like, you're like poking the thumbs up at the catcher. So it's a, it's a slightly weird uh, kind of breaking ball. And the reason I bring it up is he doesn't really have a, a good slider. And normally uh, with Max Fried as an example and other there's other guys that have uh, had really good curveballs that have developed sliders at the big leagues. You think, well, he has a feel for spin. It can't be that hard to teach him a breaking ball. But what if he, his feel for spin, quote unquote, is on this really weird curveball um, and it doesn't port over? That's the only question mark I have for him other than maybe size. There is a thing with shorter righties have had um, a little bit more injury history in the past, according to Jeff Zimmerman's research. Uh, but that's more of a dynasty keeper league scenario for this year. He seems ready to rock. I also don't think that, you know, this, this is a little bit more like what happens in year two and three after people have seen him more often. Is it just, you know, is Kevin Gossman with the, with an elite curveball fine, or does it need to be, is this such a slider league that he needs to find a slider? That's the only question for me. Otherwise, uh, obviously the contract suggests that the Dodgers have no problems with it. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm ready to, to rock with him. Um, you know, Bobby Miller is my favorite young, young pitcher in the league. Um, you know, if, if I was going to actually try and spend to acquire a high end arm in a keeper dynasty league, it would be Bobby Miller. I just think that everything lines up. The only thing that's missing is a strikeout rate. Um, and then Emmett Sheehan is an interesting one for me. I think he's going to get a uh, hundred ish innings, 70 to hundred innings because of the gaps in there. I think he's going to start the season probably in the rotation because of Walker Bueller being out. James Paxton is going to need a blow. Uh, I don't think Clayton Kershaw is going to pitch this season. So, you know, Sheehan's going to get his time. 
And he has a really interesting two-plane fastball that, you know, I think most models like. Arslan's is pretty good. Um, you know, the stuff plus says his changeup is plus, his slider is plus, his sweeper is plus. Um, it's a bit of a nation sweeper. Um, but that's four plus pitches. He not a single one of them had above average command. So uh the the question on Sheehan is definitely command. But if you've got that much stuff, you got four pitches, I'm gonna bet on you as well. Um, and then the last one for me, Paxton is a total wild card. I have this uh, graph here that just shows his fastball velo and his slider velo. And he used to be 95 with the fastball, 90 with the slider, a bit of a cutter thing. Uh, now he's 95 with the fastball and 85 with the with the slider. So, um, you know, that's something that he couldn't, He could, when I asked him about it, he said he couldn't figure it out and he'd love to have it back. He's happy to have the fastball velo back, but he doesn't know where the breaking ball velo went. And that's post-injury, so uh, I don't know how you can coach that up necessarily. Maybe they can change the shape or something, but I'm not super hopeful about Paxton. Who didn't we even get some iffy uh, injury uh, injury news from him? Well, yeah, after the signing, there That's right. was a there was an adjustment to his contract after he took the physical. They reduced the the base salary and, and changed things up a little bit. So the guaranteed money changed in that deal, according to a report from Fabian Ardaya and Ken Rosenthal, it went from eleven million to seven million. So. We'll see. And, and, and then uh, I heard after that it was like more knee than elbow. Hmm. But, you know, it's still, the knee is still an important part of, of pitching. <laughs> you, know, you still still need that. Uh, there's a lot of evidence that like, you know, especially front front leg blocking, which is like you, you, you land your front leg, that that is uh, really important, highly correlated to velo and to uh, really important in pitching in terms of you land that front leg and then you have you sort of that creates that like creates a stop for the force to go through forward. So that's what sort of changes your momentum from being rotational to like being toward the plate is that front leg blocking. And so, you know, if that's the knee that, that hurts him, then that's a, a cause for concern. It definitely matters. Knees are important to pitching. <laughs> I can confirm that, uh, they just have they have a role in the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Pakota uh, win loss projection here from Baseball Prospectus: the win total one hundred one point seven. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Probably too cold. I mean, one of the things that happens with projections is that they push people down, you know, and push people towards the middle, and they would never project a team to win one hundred and five or one hundred and ten um, because, but. You know, what happens if this team is on a 101-win pace and then, uh, you know, the the trade deadline comes? Mm. Are they going to get a little better? Generally, yeah, I would assume that. Are there going to be teams in their division that sell, you know, and they get worse? So I, I would just assume 103, 104, 105, something like that. Four of the last six full seasons, they've actually gone over this number, and this roster seems as good as any that they've built in the last right. last ten seasons or so. So yeah, everything looks good. I, I would say too cold as well. You know, probably 104, 105 wins are, are where they're going to end up. So we are in agreement on that one. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's move over to a more challenging team to assess. Let's talk about the Reds. And they come up a lot in our fantasy conversations because of their infield depth chart in particular. Their infield is one of the best problems to try and solve in fantasy baseball right now. You have Ellie De La Cruz, who's still toting a second-round ADP. You have Matt McClain, who's going to play in the middle infield alongside of Ellie on a regular basis. You've got other guys that are just outside the top 100 and Spencer Steer. Noelvi Marte is a riser so far this draft season. Christian Encarnacion Strand brings a ton of power. And then the veteran they sign, Jammer Candelario, is in the mix. Plus, you still have Jonathan India there. So, you've got all these options that should play a lot. Steer is going to play in the outfield, so we've got a path for him. Noelvi Marte, I think, makes a lot of sense as a like super aggressive like go get him in a keeper dynasty league right now sort of player the redraft problem is completely different because i i've come back to the same conclusion every time i've looked at it that he could get squeezed even if he's good just because everybody else is either older or offers something a little more defensively right now but Marte is a really damn good player in his own right they're just looking at these projections right now, uh, as you could on YouTube, but you can also, uh, these are the Bad X projections. Yes, the Bad X projections are over at Fangraphs. You can go to the Bad X projections on the drop down menu and then just to put the reds in, and you can see uh, what, what we're looking at. And, um, you know, it's pretty obvious that they're, that what the risk reward scenario is. Uh, just to, to describe it, Elliot La Cruz right now, if you plug him in to the calculator, you get like a, you know, a top 30 hitter, right? But he's going in the second round. So people were saying, no, he's more like a top 15 hitter. And uh, the way to square it is if you instead plug in the Zips projection that has a 640 plate appearance number for Elliot La Cruz, he becomes the 11th best hitter in baseball. And the projections on a t- in terms of like average and power and speed are not that different. It's all in the playing time. So 560 plate appearance projection right now on the bad X, 640. That's the difference between Ellie being a top 25, top 30 hitter and being a top 15, maybe top 10 hitter. And um, and obviously, like the 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 use case is like, well, do you think they're just gonna put Elliot Cruz in there at shortstop and say this is our guy? He's super exciting. That's why you come to the ballpark. He's the guy who's gonna get us on the MLB Twitter channel. You know, he's gonna be the guy who who puts all the highlights out there. Let's just put him out there every day. I tend to think that's what's gonna happen. But uh, on the other hand, the reason you hedge your bets is poor platoon splits. 
poor strikeout rate, poor ground ball rate, which is not really um, supported by his minor league numbers. So I, I don't think that's a real issue. I think the poor platoon is too early, especially on a switch hitter. You, you just put him in there every day. And, and the other one is options and defensive, defensive sort of questions and options. And the defensive questions for me, you know, if you look at the defensive numbers, you've got Ellie is a super positive and outs above average, but kind of a negative uh, by defensive runs saved by baseball info, info solutions and kind of a negative on baseball prospectus. But even if he's kind of a negative at short, he's probably a plus third baseman, you know, just given his athletic tools. And so Matt McLean is the one who actually rates a, like really well, no matter what defensive metric you're looking at. So to me, Matt McLean and Ellie De La Cruz should have 640 plus plate appearance projections. Those are the guys that are going to play every day, no matter where it is, short and third, second and short, whatever it is, those guys are the best defenders. They're going to play. Steer is very obviously the worst defender on the infield because really hard to get like defensive metrics to agree. Steer is very obviously the worst defender. So he's just going to the outfield. You know, that's, I think he's just going to a corner outfield. That's his future. And, uh, you know, Encarnacion Strand is clearly, and, and I think maybe Jamer Condelario at this point is also um, in this bucket. You're leaning towards first base and DH with those two. So the real question marks for me in terms of playing time, yes, I agree with you. This is a really long-winded way of saying <laughs> I agree with you, which is India and Marte, even if they make the team, and I mean, India will make the team, but even if Marte makes the team, India, Marte, Encarnacion Strand, and Candelario are playing three positions, is how I see it. That's four guys, three positions. Those are the guys you should bing, ding in the plate appearance projections. But for me, McLean, Ellie, even Steer are underprojected in terms of plate appearances. Yeah, so you keep coming back to uh, a place of being a lot more comfortable drafting Ellie potentially than I am. Uh, I, I see the talent. He's one of the most fun players to watch in the game. There's no no doubt in that whatsoever. I just keep getting hung up on the opportunity cost. I think the the playing time differences in the projections is one of the better cases you can make for actually justifying Elliot cost. The other one I would I'll throw out there as kind of a argument against myself. I love arguing with myself. It's just the that's just my favorite. As the king of waffles, I agree and I hate it. Right. <laughs> so if you look at the alternatives to Ellie and you say, oh, I don't want to pass on these players for Ellie. I don't want to pass on Pete Alonzo for Ellie. I don't want to pass on Vlad Jr. for Ellie or Rafael Devers, right? Some combination of those players. Okay. They're much more one dimensional players, I'm just going to say. Yeah, they all are going to be balanced very differently in what they do categorically speaking. You could overpay for Ellie in the second round, air quotes, overpay. Just say, fine, I'm just going to overpay. Even if there's risk, I'm going to overpay and say, I could make up value in rounds three, four, and five. I can find guys in the next few rounds who just as easily could be second rounders as the second rounders I passed up. I don't think that's as much of a logical fallacy as some people might make it out to be because we've seen plenty of movement in this range. We see plenty of guys in that top 60, top 75 overall make leaps and become second rounders who've never been second rounders before. Some guys that fell out of that group who are going to play back up to that level. Sometimes it's health related. I think the easiest pairing for him is to take, it may not be right away, but like the Goldschmidt Arenado types that you take later 
that play back up to their old their old levels yeah. and are safer, you know, and 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 you know may not be exactly Alonzo or or Vlad, but if you think about Vlad, like gold, you could take Goldschmidt and he and he could play to the Vlad level, right? You know, Vlad has more upside because he's younger and he's projected better, and I understand that. I'm just saying Goldschmidt can play to a Vlad level, and he's not gonna he's not so. You know, you're kind of taking the Corbin Carroll bet. It is in the second round. Uh, but it's also like he has demonstrated some stuff. So it's not like a complete prospect that you're just sticking in there. I would also say that some of the flaws for Ellie have been slightly exaggerated. You've got a great piece coming out on Friday. Some potential breakout hitters. And there's, yeah. there's still more good than bad or less terrible <laughs> than advertised when it comes to some of the underlying metrics that were behind Ellie's soaring strikeout rate in the second half of last season. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I hesitated to put this graph up on YouTube, but uh, I really, uh, because it's the, it's the the quote-unquote nut graph from my uh, my piece coming out tomorrow, uh, Friday, February 16th, which is the, um, the young breakout hitters. And I just took uh, uh, some stats that I thought were really important and looked at players under 25, and did Z scores. So, you know, you get your, your relative, you know, performance in each category, you add it all up. And then I sorted them. Um, and, uh, and then I took out the guys who'd already broken out because near the top of the wrist list were Julio Rodriguez, Gunnar Henderson, um, you know, just absolute, uh, tears of, of young, young players who've already done it. So if you kind of take out the guys who've already done it, um, this list uh, just really pops for me. It's the best young players in baseball, and Ellie De La Cruz is on it. The the uh, and, and that's like, you know, duh. But like his barrel rate, his hard hit rate, his max EV are all just so excellent that you know his swing strike rate's not as bad as people say. A twelve point three percent is not that bad. And what's really the worst is his zone minus chase rate. Uh, that's the worst one in this. We got to use zone minus chase rate, swing strike rate, barrel rate, hard hit rate, and max EV. That does put a little bit of emphasis on how hard you hit the ball, but I do, that's my bias. I think it's super important how hard you hit the ball. And uh, Ellie does that well. Maybe just a little bit of tweaking in that zone minus chase, in that aggression and passivity for Ellie De La Cruz, which we saw over the course of last year, some real improvement. Uh, in terms of what he was swinging at and what he was chasing at, uh, that's the that's what's all that's left on this uh, graph. And I'm not gonna say all the names because you know these are these are my breakout guys. Uh, Noelvi Marte is green across the board. I mean, it's he's actually I think what people what why people underrate him is that he ha- maybe has had some trouble turning his max EV into barrels, but it's not because he's hitting the ball on the ground. So I just feel like that's just a little bit of touch that that's the last if that's the last thing that's missing is like the difference between like a eight or nine percent barrel rate and like a 12 percent barrel rate for Marte is sort of just feel. I feel like, yeah, just he's going to be in the big leagues. He's going to get there. His zone minus chase is green. His swing strike rate is green. His barrel rate is green, but could be greener. His hard hit is green. His max EV is green. It's he's he's the actually along with uh, Spencer Torkelson, he's the only guy who's green across the board. Yeah, and it's also interesting, too, that Marte seems to run a little better than expected at this point. We saw the bags at the end of last season. He was 6-for-8 on the base pass with the Reds. He was 8-for-10 at 39 games at AAA. He was 10-for-12 
in 50 games at double A. Young for the level everywhere he was. Kept the strikeouts in check. Drew walks. Did everything you want a young hitter to do. And that's why when I look at him, I'm like, this guy's so good. Why is he getting squeezed? It's because they added one too many infielders. I, well, it, but it, it could fix itself. You could make the bet. You know, you could watch the spring. You know, maybe the spring results matter here a little bit. You could, you know, the, the smart bet might just be against Jamer Candelario. You know, because he's a new guy getting in there. He's the older guy. He's probably not, his glove is not as good as Marte's, if I'm guessing. You're looking at the defensive metrics. They're rated somewhat equally. But maybe Jamer and Christian Encarnacion Strand and, and India are battling for two spots. Could be. They're giving Jamer a lot of money to have him in a job battle. That's been the thing that's been holding me back from putting him in there all along. Yeah, but based, <laughs> based purely on talent, I think you you have that exactly right. The big questions with this team are also kind of looking at the, the pitching staff. And they're relying heavily on just Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo being healthy, right? If those two guys are healthy, that's a huge, huge lift for this group. Andrew Abbott came up last year. We've talked about him a lot as someone we don't necessarily love. They took the one-year flyer on Frankie Montas. So just by way of having their two younger guys stay healthy all year and adding Montas, the top three in this rotation could look a lot different this year. Uh, you know, I I wrote about how exciting excited I was about Hunter Green recently, and still am. Um, but uh, I I uh, <clears throat> I I'm maybe more excited about Nick Lodolo at that price. I mean, it's a big difference in price, a 245 ADP for Nick Lodolo. Um, if you've kept yourself clean, if you've kept your nose clean, basically in terms of injury risk, that's a great place uh, to take a, uh, to take a crack at it. Graham Ashcraft is a guy that, you know, I keep wanting to say, you know, uh, uh, you know, just in one more pitch, just a curveball or something. He's been throwing a curveball in the minors. That could be really important for him because stuff like really likes him. Uh, I don't like hearing this. He had surgery on his big right toe in September. This is the kind of things you fig- you hear, like, oh, what? You had surgery on your right toe in September, and we're now hearing about it. He has a plate in it. He stayed off it for a month, so he's going to be a little bit behind. He says he's going to be good to go for the season, but is you know uh, having a plate in your toe and and being a month behind is that the best uh, sort of backstory for and he added a, a pitch and broke out i don't know oh that doesn't seem like the the recipe you're always looking for uh the other guy that's kind of interesting in this group we start looking for the depth options we've talked about graham ashcraft for a while as someone that you know could find some success the park of course in cincinnati boost homers Works against pitchers for the exact opposite reason, of course. Connor Phillips kind of cruises under the radar. And this is the problem with Connor Phillips. You, you <laughs> sent the, the pitch location maps. We're looking at them right now. There's just not a lot of consistency in the location from him. And I don't know if they can fix that. Like That looks more like reliever command to me than command for someone who's going to find his way into the back of the rotation and stay there. Yeah, it's uh, it's not great, um, and it doesn't even have like a pitch where you can be like, and this is the one because Joe Boyle, you know, they chose basically Connor Phillips to keep Connor Phillips and sent Joe Boyle packing. Uh, Joe Boyle, in fact, if you look at his heat maps, the the slider one looks okay, and I think that's his way forward. Is that often the slider is the pitch he goes to uh, when he needs when he needs a strike. I don't really see a pitch here that 
he can go to that doesn't have just uh, some real scatter shot to it. And sweeper is not a pitch that most people can command well. So I don't think the sweeper is going to be that pitch. The curveball, he he has some that are above the zone. Those have got to be hangers. Like that's not good. And then the four seam is really pretty scatter shot for a four seam. Um, and there's a lot of them outside the zone. So I like Connor Phillips because I'm always biased towards guys who have big stuff. Um, but I'm being very careful with him. Basically, I'm taking him in rounds 45 through 50 in draft and holds. Okay. So, yeah, mostly so. mono leagues and then deep, deep draft and hold is the, the use case you but see. But if you're like Phillips. a dynasty league that's pretty deep or a keeper league that's pretty deep and you a $1 auto new pitcher, like that's not, that's not impossible. Yeah. I mean, I think if you look at him compared to Nick Martinez, though, Martinez would have to have the upper hand for the last spot in the rotation this year's innings for sure right yeah. that's where you're projecting a, a higher volume but martinez has bounced around in the past and he did that in a in a better park so i don't know 26 million dollars is a lot to give to uh, a pitcher like nick martinez and i don't know i don't know how much time that buys you looking at this bullpen here real quick alexis diaz should safely be the closer at least to begin the season does he end the year with the job do you think Start to finish, he is able to just be the closer, get 30-plus saves, and deliver on that ADP? I thought he would uh, you know, be a lot better in our, in our um, redo of Stuff Plus, and uh, he did. He went. He was one of the bigger gainers uh, going from a 94 Stuff Plus to 116. So uh, at least he has the stuff of you know, a top, sh- a top, sh- top half closer. That's, that's where you're at. I mean, the top, top closers have like 130 stuff plus, uh, look at Hunter green, like Hunter green somehow has more stuff than his closer. <laughs> um, that's, I mean, that's sort of sums up why I still like him. Um, but, uh, uh, but I think, yeah, I think he's, he's good. One thing that all happened in our reboot was that Fernando Cruz also went from a 93 stuff plus to 112 stuff plus, Partially because he has a fork ball and it's a little bit tough to get a handle on fork balls because they're similar to knuckle balls and their movements all over the place. Their movement is very scattershot. It's not a great pitch for him to command, but in the bullpen, you're just trying to throw hard and then throw the, the knuckle fork, you know, when there's two strikes and they have no idea where it's going. So you know, I just wanted to mention Fernando Cruz as uh, someone other than Lucas Sims that could take the role. Um, so those are those are the three most interesting names in the back of the pen. But I, I tend to think Alexis Diaz is one of those David Bednar types that's kind of, you know, in the middle of the draft, uh, probably going to keep his job. Evan Phillips, we didn't talk about in the Dodgers preview versus Alexis Diaz. Who'd you rather have for this season only? M. Phillips kind of gives me like Seawaldian vibes. Seawaldian, <laughs> I like that. It's like, you know, it's not the traditional closer. It's not, it doesn't have the traditional closer velo. Uh, but maybe he's he's fine for two or three years. I just, you know, Bruce Dogger Adderall's got, you know, more traditional closer stuff, but not without the strikeout rate. Do you think that the Dodgers acquire a closer? I mean, there, there are already rumors of Kenley Jansen. Oh yeah, Kenley Jansen. <laughs> that that's the that was among the the injuries too. He's dealing with a lat strain, and then he might get traded somewhere. Like, oh, but the Dodgers do that again? Maybe Devin Williams at some point if the Brewers aren't you know meeting their mm. expectations. Maybe he's someone that could be on the move. 
it that that's always going to be the thing that keeps Evan Phillips slightly below someone like Alexis Diaz cost wise above Diaz in my rankings but right now as I'm talking about it I'm like it's the job security thing though the skills like Evan Phillips is legit from a skills perspective it's the undercurrent you're worried someone is going to come in and just take the job and Phillips is going to be an excellent setup guy but more likely than not unless it's the Jansen trade this spring it's probably something that happens later on this season right and even if it is Jansen like doesn't Phillips still get like 10 saves and you know like what's what one of the hardest things in fantasy baseball in saves leagues is to parse what a guy with a 310 ERA and 12 saves is worth versus a guy with a 385 ERA and 25 saves is worth because we all fetishize saves and we think almost the guy with 25 saves duh but is it Depends a little bit on how clustered they are in your league. Yeah, and it does, and it also do, like if like you'll get these surprises, you know, when you run the auction calculator. Uh, I'm going backwards. Twenty three, twenty three value. It's Bautista, Williams, Tanner Scott, Bednar, Phillips, Diaz, Hader, Doval, Tyler Holton, Tyler Holton, and Sean Armstrong were the tenth and eleventh best relievers in baseball last year according to the auction calculator going but looking backwards i don't think this is like oh the auction calculator doesn't know how to do things correctly i think it's just if you could have known how good holton and armstrong were ahead of the season you could have benefited from putting them on your roster especially in deeper leagues but i get i get it i know why we go after saves colin pache 17th brian abreu 18th you know that's one you could have said seen ahead of time that's why in some of my drafting holds, I'm drafting Brian Abreu and Ryan Presley anyway. Yeah, you never know. Closers break, opportunities open up, and even sometimes it's just a handful of saves with great ratios that ends up having a value in really deep leagues. The Pakota projection for the Reds, 78.2 is the win total. Fourth place in the NL Central. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Too cold. Something's got to go right for them in the rotation. And they, they did put some spackle on it with some some veterans so like i it, just one of those guys got to break out this year i i feel like i'm taking crazy pills maybe it's lodolo maybe it's ashcraft maybe it's green if it's two out of three that is way too cold i like both green and lodolo where they're going in drafts right now which scares me a little because of the park but we've seen reds pitchers have success in that park Luis castillo johnny cueto have been plenty sunny gray we've talked about this before like the park's tough. It's not impossible. It's not Coors. So not Coors. I think both of those guys could take massive steps. So I'm, I'm on the slightly too cold side here, too. I think the Reds are going to be a bit of a problem for the rest of the NL Central. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey, guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? 
The Old Man and the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's shift the focus over to the Pirates as we close out today's team preview episode. Not much has changed with this group of hitters. That would be the frustrating part, I think, for a lot of people. The big thing is their best hitter by ADP, O'Neill Cruz, barely played last year. So by just getting him back and having him healthy, they add maybe their best all-round bat to the equation, which probably underrates Brian Reynolds a little bit from a real-life perspective, but given the power-speed combo that O'Neill Cruz could deliver, it makes sense that the market values him a little more than it values Brian Reynolds. So between those two guys and Cabrian Hayes and Henry Davis, who came up last summer, you're starting to see a few more pieces come together for this group, but it's still a little bit of the familiar story with a lot of the the corner spots, right? You just look at the corners and say, ah, oh, it's Rowdy Tellez, it's a cast off from another NL Central team, the Edward Oliverius acquisition. Maybe it works out, but you don't feel like there's this obvious, like everyday player they acquired. It's more of a question of whether he can fix his flaws enough to hold the job as opposed to like looking at him as a certain breakout or a, a highly regarded prospect who's ready to lock down the job for the long haul. Yeah, I, I prepared the most obvious uh, slide ever. Everyone knows this one's coming. Uh, this is Cabrian Hayes, 15-game rolling average, fly ball rate, and his production. And they are in lockstep as he has begun to hit the ball more in the air. His production has gone up. And that is why I'm going to fall for him yet again this year. Sweet. And... You know, that is also why, just going back to the, the, the group that they have, I count Cabrian Hayes as a foundational piece. I also kind of count Jack Suwinski as such. And the key for me is pretty obvious. He's in my breakout uh, uh, group. He had a 900-plus OPS in three months uh, combined, and he had a 700 OPS in the other three months combined. He just needs to figure out these little micro adjustments that he's making. He needs to figure out how to put them in his bag and use them at any time and make these adjustments quicker. And, um, you know, given his good eye at the plate, given how hard he hits the ball, given his athleticism, um, I think they're going to put him in there every day to start to, to, to figure it out. And so now you've got O'Neill Cruz, Brian Reynolds as the veteran, Cabrian Hayes and Jack Sawinski joining the group. That's a four-person player core. That's good enough. When I did research on what it takes for teams to win, it was three or four. So they just need these veterans that they're buying to kind of around it to to play to their position. They need to spend a little bit, you know, uh, to to make these players, these depth players, better. Um, you know, it would have been nice if it was Reese Hoskins instead of Rowdy Tellez. You know, it would have been nice. 
uh, if uh, you know there was another acquisition on the on the pitching side that was better than Marco Gonzalez. But they are doing the things that other teams do as they start to get better, which is we've got our our young core and we're starting to like spend a little and 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 trade some of these other pieces that aren't going to be in the young core for veterans. And so I do like the Edward Olivares acquisition. I think, you know, in that short little outfield, especially with Henry Davis catching at the beginning of the season, I think he may get an everyday shot at least the beginning of the season. And so uh, he's a, he's a depth guy for me that I'm really interested in. Um, and, And there's certain aspects of his defensive charts that I think, you know, you know, you could maybe massage. He's really bad going back on the ball, I believe. And so maybe you just play him deeper, that sort of deal. Um, so I think there's some uh, some upside to Edward Olivares. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to fall for Rowdy again. <laughs> um, he's a he's a funny interview. Uh, I don't know if Pigueros is good enough. Um, I like Triolo uh, to a certain extent. I think someone from the group of Pagero, Telez, and Triolo is going to step forward and play 550, 600 plate appearances and be a surprising uh, value for somebody in, a, in deeper leagues. They've also got Andrew McCutcheon back in tow. We talked about that before. He's just one of those guys. He's one home run away from 300 for his career. I think playing time for McCutcheon might be heavier in the early part of the season health permitting and then it might just taper off over the course of the summer that would be pretty logical sort of progression even though he still brings a little something to the table had a 378 OBP last year popped 12 homers stole 11 bases in 473 plate appearances I don't think he'll play more than that there's a good chance he'll actually play a little bit less I think where this team gets really fun is actually in the group of pitchers because it's not necessarily the guys that are going to open the season in the rotation, but it's probably the guys that are going to finish the year in the rotation. You know, Mitch Keller, still there. He's the ace for now, but we know Paul Skeens is not far away. Jared Jones is kind of a multi-year favorite on this show. And behind that, they've got Anthony Solomedo. Maybe late in the year, Bubba Chandler, if he continues to tear up the minor leagues, we could see him August and August or September. If you want a, like a, a further away sleeper for keeper in prospect leagues, I love Thomas Harrington. Yeah, so this is a group of pitchers that's actually really exciting if you can kind of start penciling in the prospects. How aggressive do you think they're going to be with this group? I think you're going to get 120 to 130 innings out of Paul Skeens this year. And uh, I don't know why you would spend any of those in the minors, uh, but maybe you spend you know, 10 to 15 of those in the minors spread out over three or four weeks, you know? You know where you've you're you're stretching him, you're keeping him, you know, you keeping him pitching, but he's, you know, not really pitching. <laughs> you know, you're just trying to massage these innings to fit the season. <laughs> but I I don't think they're gonna push way past 130 innings. Um, and then Jared Jones to me is a bit of a wild card in terms of when he comes up and how many innings he's got. Um, last year he did manage 120 innings and that, you know, the year 126 and the year before is 122. So he seems primed, uh, possibly to jump to even 150 having done 122 seasons. Um, so if he can do 150, that means he can come up really at any time and he could even break camp with the team because I don't really like Quinn Priester, Luis Ortiz. 
I liked at some point, there's some pieces there. If he's commanding the ball well, you know, you can give him the ball. Bailey Falter, to me, is like a like a, a six starter that you can keep on the roster, long guy. I don't, I don't have too much uh, faith in him. Skeens is going to be just about the shape of when they get those 120 innings. So Jones is the one guy that I might circle that, you know, I don't think it's a long shot even. Like, he could come out of spring with the fifth starter role. Because that's you. That's 150 innings is most you'd expect out of your fifth starter anyway. You skip them a bunch. There's days you don't use them. You give them a long, uh, a long uh, All Star break, and boom, Jared Jones has been on the roster all season long, and been an important part of this team. Yeah, and there's uh, you know, aside from Ortiz too, there's Ronzi Contreras. I think Contreras is finally out of options, so he's probably on the roster in some capacity, even if he doesn't open the year in the rotation. They're going to want to get moving from him, him to the the bullpen because. The shape and velo on his fastball has just fallen, fallen, fallen. And it falls not only season to season, but within season. And so when I see that, I see this is a guy who can't maintain his velo. He can't, he can't, he can't do it. And so I would be pretty excited about him in the bullpen. And uh, maybe they do, you know, something with like the Will Crow thing where he's a, a three inning guy at first, but I think he's headed towards one inning outings and, uh, you know, maybe just in time to take over for Bednar when he's traded. Well, one more high-quality late-inning arm if that's the path for Ronzi Contreras. But yeah, curious to see how his role shapes uh, over the course of the season. It does give me some, like, Ronaldo Lopez vibes where you're like, hey, this just didn't quite work as a starter. Let's put him in the pen. It could change things instantly for him and make him a much more valuable piece of the pitching staff. The Pakota projection for the Pirates, 73.3 wins, last in the NL Central. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I had this one down as a just right. Yeah. Is it a year too early to kind of say they're, they're doing something right and it's coming together? I think it's a year too early because I I assume based on long-term organizational behavior that predates the current front office regime that they may be slow to bring up those pitchers. And I think any... Any real like significant chance of them blowing past that total comes from more young pitching being there sooner than later. And I just don't yeah, think they're like, going to do it. Like picking Jones over Falter for the fifth starter role right out of spring, just being like, let's go for it. Yeah, just being more aggressive with that group. That's all. It, it, it doesn't mean they're not going the right direction. It just means that it's going to take a little bit longer than Pirates fans might want. Um, you know, O'Neill Cruz, like we've talked about his problems against lefties. I think that's a huge lift for them, but... Uh, I I still see too many warts at the bottom half of the lineup. I think they've got a nice core three, core four right now, but I see them still being a, a little light offensively most days. Yeah, I mean, as much as I like Triolo, I thought he was going to strike out a lot less than he is right now, and I don't I don't really have an answer for that other than maybe you know sliders you know just major league sliders are better commanded and are, are being tough on him right now um you know and as i said Piguero, triolo you know rowdy one of them might step forward you know there's reasons like all of them but you know Piguero also struck out 30 percent of the time after not striking out the minors it's it's kind of strange because i know for a fact that they're doing the same thing that other teams are doing trying to prepare the same way in the minors that they're preparing in the big leagues so it's not like Piguero came to the big leagues and was like, whoa, you guys do what before games? You know, it's like they're trying to make it as seamless as possible. And yet Piguero and Tri Triolo, guys with good hit tools, get to the big leagues and, and just getting blown away. 
So I don't know what that's all about. Maybe it'll just correct next year and they'll they'll both have better contact rates and, you know, maybe break out. Yeah, I think the the long-term arrow still up. It's just the more gradual improvement than uh, some of the other rebuilds that we've seen around the league here over the last half decade or so. We are going to head out on our way out the door. A reminder, we got a live stream coming up tomorrow. It is 1 o'clock Eastern on our YouTube channel. Be sure to check that out. The arrival of Trevor May to Rates and Barrels. We're pumped up for that. You can check out everything behind the paywall at athletic.com slash Rates and Barrels. Get a subscription for $2 a month for the first year. Eno's Young Breakout Hitter story drops on Friday. It's a perfect time to sign up if you haven't done so already. And uh, one other show announcement, we have the Discord up and running. So I will put a link to... It's hopping. It's hopping. There's a lot going on in the Discord. <laughs> I'll put a link to join it in the show notes. So if you haven't joined it yet, you just want to click on that. You can find it in our Twitter feeds as well. Find Eno on Twitter, at Eno Saris. Find me, at Derek and Riper. The show is at Rates and Barrels. We're back with you live at 1 o'clock Eastern on Friday. Thanks for listening. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.